So this podcast is about the challenges I think that um, female candidates face when they want to enter management consulting firms. And I thought very carefully about how I'm going to write this, sorry, how I'm going to discuss this podcast because we've covered this topic before and it is, it's it's a slightly sensitive topic because on the one hand, you you want to be honest about what you see, and on the other hand, you want to provide motivation, but not provide motivation by drawing blinkers over reality. So I'm going to be very honest. I think some people may take offense to what I'm going to say, but that's okay. You know, I think people need to know what they face, and you need to make decisions based on all the facts on the table. And when I say people are going to take offense, I'm not going to insult anyone. But I'm going to talk about real challenges that females face. And I think I'm going to talk about some of the problems female candidates create for themselves and how they can overcome these things. But I do want to um, give some background about why I'm putting out this podcast. Many of you know that um, when Firms Consulting first started off, um, we predominantly worked with males. I mean, we had, at some many months, we'd have 100% male candidates we were working with. And we made a few shifts in our business and the way we were basically doing the teaching um, that forced us to bring in female candidates. For example, we realized that female candidates didn't like the way we were teaching. It was, I think we had a very, I wouldn't say confrontational, but a much more a much more number-driven approach as opposed to heavily focusing on the individual themselves and sort of building up their profile, right? And one thing I've learned is that, um, you know, while female candidates have benefited from this new style of coaching, I think the male candidates have also, you know, done much better through this new style of coaching because it's a more complete way of training a person. It's not just cases. As I tell people, anyone, you know, a dog could learn how to do cases. It's about how you communicate. What is your image? What is the profile you project for yourself? How how do you structure your conversations? Do you look as if you are someone that a McKinsey partner wants to put in front of a client who manages a $20 billion corporation, right? So, so that's some of the things we've been doing at Female Candidates. The other thing we've done is um, we've made it a priority that we only take in per coach seven candidates per a month. We will only take in four male candidates and the other three will all go to females. So that's an, that's an active decision we've made. And we've been scouring the world to find outstanding candidates. I mean, we found people from all over the world. And you know, we, we're particularly looking at emerging economies or candidates who come from emerging economies, even though they may be studying in the United States. But as well, you know, we're also looking at Americans, British, uh, females, and so on and trying to bring them into the program. Other ways we're doing this is, um, you know, we do sponsor some MBA events, but our sponsorship is very unusual. You know, the spo- when we when we sponsor an event, we don't allow our name to be used because we one of the, the value systems we have is we do not advertise. And, we, and you can call a sponsor what you want, but it's advertising, right? Sure, Wikipedia may say it's not advertising. It is advertising. The fact is you're putting your name out there, even though you may not fully control the medium. So one of the things we've done is when we sponsor events, we make it very clear to the organization that we're funding is that, Although we don't want our name on the event, we want to see more female candidates. We want to see the numbers. And unless we see something like 40-50% female candidates, we're not interested in the program. And the second thing we push for very heavily is that we want to see a direct a direct focus on ethics. And I remember one school that recently contacted us, and they said that, you know, we are going to make a focus on ethics because we're going to use, for example, uh, a case an e- so a case of a computer company. I'm not going to name them just in case they send that email to everyone else. And, um, you know, one of the concerns here is that if they should shut down this division and what impact it would have on workers. And I was thinking to myself, but that's not an ethics case. 
Every single company in the world faces that problem. If you shut down a division, you, what do you do with your workers? That's not an ethics case. That's a business case. An ethics case is something like, well, what if, what if a company can make a lot of money by doing work in a country that maybe oppresses its citizens? That's an ethics case. So don't you know bring up these cases and tell me they're ethics cases when you know clearly they're not ethics cases. But the point I'm trying to make is that when we say that we push for ethics and we push for you know including minorities and females, we 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 really make an effort to do that. So hopefully that will put into context some of the things I'm going to say now. So let me just give you a story here, right? When I was a partner, this brilliant young medical doctor, I think she may have been 26. I really liked her, uh, you know, Indian of Indian origin, very nice lady, uh, very passionate. She was, how can I put it? She was one of those people you looked at and said, wow, you know, this, this person's just got the world before them. They just have to decide what they want to do and they can do it. So she was doing very well on projects, never reported to me initially, but the point was made that, you know, Michael, why don't you mentor this person? You know, there's a concern she may want to leave the firm because she's not she's not building relationships with people. So I said, fine, you know, I'd be happy to speak to her. So I arranged for her to and I to meet out of the office. Uh, I, th- I didn't like to meet people in the office. It kind of keeps it a two business-like setting. So I arranged to meet out of the office and I arranged for us to meet in this kind of a sports bar kind of restaurant. Uh, and I deliberately took off my tie because I wanted her to see that, you know what, this is not just a business meeting. So I took off my tie and we were sitting and we're just having this discussion, right? And one of the things that struck me very quickly is the fact that typically when I'm speaking to a guy, I know what I'm going to talk about. I'm either going to talk about sports, I'm going to talk about one of the shows that guys like, I'm going to talk about one of these things. It's very easy to, to talk without trying. That's the key thing. But I was sitting across from her and I was thinking, you know, what do I talk about? I mean, I don't know any of her hobbies. I read her file. Um, yeah, she does stuff I don't do, so I don't know anything about it. So we were talking and we were having a discussion, I think, because we wanted to have a discussion. But I'm not sure we were having a discussion because we we could have a discussion, you know. I wasn't talking about sports, although I like football. You know, I use a lot of football analogies when I do these podcasts, so I like football. And if I'm talking to one of the consultants, the males, even if he's, even if he doesn't like football, he's going to know roughly what I'm speaking about. Um, but, you know, typically when I talk to a female and I say, you know, have you heard of Arsenal? Have you heard of Arsene Wenger? Have you heard of, um, um, have you, heard of um, you know, any team? They'll say yes, but I don't know anything about them. And, you know, it struck me that yeah, well, this is a really talented person, and the only basis on which we could have a conversation was work. And I had to do a lot of research afterwards to find out what our hobbies were and start reading about them so that when the time came, I could have a real conversation that wasn't contrived. And I mean, this is, this is the problem female candidates have when they enter management consulting. It's not that the partners and the consultants don't want to talk to you and don't want to develop you. It's those awkward pauses, and I'm sure you've all had them. You, you start a discussion, because you're in the session or you're at dinner and you, you know, that's what you do when you arrive, you start talking to the person. But after a while, you finish all the pleasantries, you can only talk about the weather so much. And then you start talking about another topic. But the point is, the topic you know and want to talk about easily is probably not the topic the female candidate wants to talk about. And what, and you know, people always, they have all these myths about why females struggle to break into the corporate um, um corporate suites and even within consulting why they struggle to go up consulting I think it comes down to the fact that 
the way we, we communicate and the way we relate and the way we bond to female candidates when you're a male candidate is very difficult it's very difficult to do it. You know, I dread these awkward pauses when I'm trying to think of, of something we can talk about, but there's no I think there's no real the interesting topic that comes to mind. So I've got to I wouldn't say make up things, but I've got to force myself to do it, right? There are differences either. There are some female candidates who have the same topics of interest. And it's very easy to talk to them about it. But now the point I'm trying to make here is that that candidate shouldn't have to change who she is to connect with me. I mean, as a partner and as the fact that I value this person, I should be willing to do some homework about what her interests are and talk to her. But the more important point is what really breaks down this mentor-mentee relationship are these awkward pauses. I mean, sure, you know, you read the Wall Street Journal, you read Harvard Business Review, they're going to give you other reasons. But let me tell you something. When you're, when you're sitting across from someone and there's a f- NBA game on the flat screen TVs around you, you're having a few beers and you're talking and you know what, there's this awkward pause. No one likes to be in that situation. So what they'll do is they'll think to themselves, well, you know what, I'm not bonding with this person. We're not building a relationship, so let, let's let the relationship die or let her come to me. And, and the point is, you know, the candidate doesn't know. You know, for all she knows, she's going to be managed out and this is an easier way of doing it. So I think there's too much emphasis put on females to find a way to break in. I mean, all the advice I see says, you know, females need to do this, females need to do this, but I think the partner needs to do a lot more and the consulting firm needs to do a lot more. Now, clearly, telling you that the partner has to do a lot more is not going to help you in this podcast. I'm not going to focus on that for now, but I am pointing out that I do feel a lot of the you know, onus lies in the consulting firm to do more, but I'm going to focus on what can a female candidate do to improve her position. So let me talk about some of the challenges that you will face as a female candidate. I'm going to talk about two sets of challenges, the ones that are created by the industry themselves, and then the ones that female candidates themselves create, right? And we're going to then talk about some tips for how you can overcome these things. I think the first problem that um, that the industry creates is the lack of role models. I personally don't feel there are enough female role models, female partners in consulting firms to guide females. So what do I mean by that? Clearly there are female partners. But what I feel happens to these female partners is they either become men or they become so desensitized that they're given these really ridiculous roles of being a partner, but they have no clout in the firm. So you have two kinds of female partners. You have the ones who, I mean, I'm sure there may be a third group who, who, who retain their humanness as they progress to the firm, but I think they're a small group. They're a minority for sure. The one group who become males, and so there's you know no point in trying to bond with them because it's like bonding with a pretty looking man. There's the other group who, you know, I think that they rise to the top, but they have no power. So they're given these executive roles, you know, head of HR and so on. They have no influence. They are not the kind of people who are going to tell you how to make it in the world when they have not made it in the world themselves. And I would avoid those people like a plague. I always tell females, if you find a female partner in HR or organizational design, you run. You head for the exits because that woman does not know how to make it into the world of strategy and corporate finance. Right? That's the bottom line. You are probably going to find some who have retained their sanity and retained the way they are and made it to the top. They're very rare, but I think if you can find those kind of um, females, you want to work with them. But the bottom line is finding someone that you can build your career around to emulate is very difficult. And the industry does this. The industry tries to promote women who are not ready and puts them into roles that I think are not... do are not. What's the word I'm looking for? Are not leveraging enough their their skills, it puts them into easier roles. So those are the first challenges you will face as a female. The second one is the style of teaching. 
The way we teach consulting, the metaphors we use, is very confrontational. It is designed for men, you know. If you ever watched the show Game of Thrones, when I was flying on the Emirates flights, I managed to watch like the whole of the first season, you know, to Dubai and back from Dubai. You can watch a lot of episodes on those um, 11 hour flights, it's like 22 hours. The point is, you know, it's like the Game of Thrones. Everyone's fighting. The only difference is that it's an intellectual battle. And it's this concept of a battle, you know. The point is it's it's a kind of a zero-sum game for many people, the way consulting is taught. And I find that when you bring female candidates into these situations, they always look for win-win situations. I do believe there's a difference in the way females think from the way males think. But I think the way we teach consulting is... We teach it as a zero-sum game, you know, the principles of supply and demand. Someone's got to lose. And we kind of downplay the, the, the negotiating side. We, we, we come up with this very formidable analysis, and then we assume, well, the analysis has solved the day. And you know what? We spend two minutes discussing implementation. And if anyone knows, most of the challenges is about implementation. And I, and I find that one of the things we learned was that we got to we got to change the way we teach consulting, you know. we got to first understand what is the strength of the candidate we are dealing with and find a way to weave that into the case training. Some of them are very analytical. Some of them are okay at analytics, and the others are very good at, at you know thinking through the organizational implications of what is happening. So the way consulting is taught is a problem. Now let's talk about some of the things females do to themselves, because I think there are a lot more things females do to themselves that hurt their chances than what the, the organization does to them. I think the first one is that by and large, the level of confidence that in some of the candidates we deal with is just dramatically low. And I'm talking about outstanding candidates. I mean, if, you, if, if, I, if I showed you some of the resumes we, we see, I put a male name on it, and that guy is going to be prancing around like a peacock during mating season. The point is females are a lot tougher on themselves. You know, th- some of the best candidates we've had, if I had to look at the top 10, the majority are all female, Right. So you're looking at the top 10 candidates, say 6 to 7, maybe 8 are female, 2 are male. And, and what happens is that it's very hard to sift and see, to sift through what these female candidates send us to see that there's a diamond inside. What do I mean by that? I'm going to give you some real examples here, but I'm going to you know, hide certain facts to make sure they're not identifiable. So one candidate came to me and gave me a profile interesting and then we started talking and then she tells me you know what she's got this musical background and so on and as we started talking about the design I thought my god this is a winning profile right here but the candidate thought that because all of her male colleagues didn't have that background she needed to sort of I think whitewash her background to be more like them which was it was very dangerous right another candidate which I was even more surprised with PhD in the sciences worked across the world former model entrepreneur and she had left out the modeling downplayed the entrepreneurship side because she thought that well you know what that's actually not going to help my profile and the point i'm trying to make here is that you you cannot try to be like someone else because if you try to be like someone else you're only 80 percent of average because everyone if you try to be like everyone else you're trying to be average right but you're not even good at being average you're 80 percent of average what you want to do is be yourself but find a way to deliver that message very carefully and there's two things linked to this you know don't try to be like the males I mean, you're not a male. I mean, I could see that if I spoke to you. But the point is that you want to think very carefully about what makes your profile unique. And really, what makes your profile unique is not that you have a 3.9 GPA from Harvard or MIT or Stanford. You know, that just makes you a nerd, a smart nerd or whatever it is. What makes you unique is the other things you've done. You know, your musical career, your sports career, your nonprofit work, the fact that you've been on 
you know you i don't know volunteer to help the romney campaign set up a grassroots um program in florida for, you know all those things make you interesting so do not try to to whitewash out the uniqueness put it into your resume but take careful attention to craft a very strong narrative around that the other one is that all these candidates you know these top the this eight women that i'm talking about here they have such low self-confidence i mean if, if when they when they start the call with me I'm pretty sure if I told them, you know what, you don't have what it takes, go away, they would have disappeared. And the bottom line is it's happening to a lot of them. Outstanding backgrounds, or good enough backgrounds, at least as good as the male candidates they're competing with. But if someone tells them, you know what, you're not good enough, they're just going to take them at face value and disappear. Or they're going to they're make it sound like it's their fault they're not good enough. And I think that's one of the things that female candidates need to be wary of. They're too hard on themselves. And I think they do need to step up and put themselves out there. The second one is um, you know, looking the part. I mean, I I don't normally meet candidates, you know, because I think that, you know, for a lot of tactical reasons, when you meet a candidate, the call always takes the session always takes longer because if you want to block it, if you want to stop the session within 60 minutes because you've got someone else booked up. You know, it's very hard to move someone out of the the meeting. So th there's always this cascading effect. If I'm late from one call by 15 minutes, I'm late by another call. So it just becomes a problem. But sometimes, you know, some candidates, we know their parents because their parents get involved in the process. And when I've had a candidate whereby when they join me for the Skype call, their parents join the Skype call. You know, it has happened. <laughs> Rare, but it does happen. In another situation, I, you know, uh, the only reason we, we picked up a client is because her father referred her to us, a former client. So, you know, he said, you know, why don't you meet my daughter, you know, talk to her. And she said, you know, I'll meet you from work. And I looked at this woman and she's wearing this frilly little blouse with this brown suit. And I said, you know what? you know take no offense to this but i do think you need to change the way you dress you know that is not a power dressing you're not power dressing so a good thing about you know toronto is everything's within walking distance so i said okay if you have time i will take you to the place i need you to buy clothing from so i took her you know up um, bay street crossed into blur and i took her to the yugo boston i'm not saying everyone needs to buy yugo boss clothing but it, this is just an example if you're not sure if the image you want to project is better to project no image right project clothing that is neutral in the image but it's at least professional so that your personality carries it so this is an important point right if you don't know you want to be known in the office then you wear clothing that at least projects a neutral but a professional image and then once you know then you can rely on your work and your personality to project your image i said you know brown suits pink suits white suits and if you want to if you want to star in a, a you know in a rap video on MTV, you can wear a tight-fitting white suit. But other than that, there's no real you know situation where you can wear that in a professional setting. So I took her to Hugo Boss store. Black, dark blue, gray, pinstripe, or solid colors. That's the only colors you should be wearing. Sure, you can wear other colors, but you know what? Please save that for a different situation. Cut is more important than style. People don't get this. Cut is more important than style. You wear a slim cut, it makes you look more professional. Trust me. A lot of people go for these polo cuts, which are just horrible. You know, it looks like you've, like you're, a, that you're planning your, your, the, that you're preparing for the fact that you're going to be putting on weight in the next five years. Don't do that. Wear a well-cut suit. Cut is more important than brand. And uh, the reason I always recommend female candidates to wear the Hugo Boss cut, if they can afford Chanel, obviously I'd recommend that. But I think Hugo Boss is, is good quality not too expensive but the cut is very good 
It's also slimmer fitting, so if you're slim, it works very well for you. Also, you know, shirts, please, only a few colors are going to work. I do like pinstripes, so if you're going to wear a pinstripe shirt, buy it. And I'd recommend Brooks Brothers makes very good colors, but the cut is very bad. So if you can get the same colors from, you know, uh, Hugo Boss, that's good. But again, solid, solid shirt should be white. Blue can work. Yeah, you wear a certain kind of pink that works. I'm okay with it. But I do find pinstripes work very well as well. I also tell female candidates, always make sure your colors are stiff. You know, the colors on your shirts. You'd be, you'd be shocked. The first thing I notice when I see a female candidate is whether the collars are you know, falling all over the place or whether they, they are stiff. Because when someone wears a suit like that or a shirt like that, it tells me they're worried about their appearance. They care about the image they project. If they care about the image they project. They, they care about themselves and I should take themselves seriously. I always tell, like, I insist with candidates, make sure your collars are starched. I you don't have collars falling all over the place. You know, it just distract so much and it's not a way of power dressing also sh shoes simple you know the other reason i like yugo boss is their shoes are simple black um no shine obviously they're a little bit high heels but that's okay as well but a very simple dressing right so you've got to dress the part and you know you've got to act as if you deserve to be in a boardroom you know so so lose the frilly dressing anything that has frills in it doesn't deserve to be in a boardroom. Sure, you're gonna, you know, see women on television wearing it, but you're not in television. You don't have a cast of people managing your image to compensate for the frilly suit you are wearing. The other two pieces of advice I'm going to give you, which maybe I shouldn't have left it for the end because they're probably the most important things, is that when you are a female candidate, from what I've seen, most females are not. They 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 look at their male colleagues and they say, "Wow, this person." is unbelievable. They're just sailing through things. Now, it's a very important point I'm making here. This is the first, actually, there are three points. The first one is that you are comparing the image that someone is projecting to your realities. What, what do I mean? Okay. As a female candidate, you know how you really feel deep down inside. You are comparing that to the image the person projects. That's not a like-for-like -like comparison. You don't know how that person feels deep down. They could be you know, feel like their life is failing, everything's falling apart around them, but they could be just trained to project a very, very positive image. So what you need to do as a female candidate is be aware of that. Do not compare your real feelings to someone's projected feelings, right? You can only compare your real feelings to someone's real feelings, but for that to work, you'd actually have to become friends with someone so they tell you what they really think, okay? Beyond that... Think about how your image appears to other people. You know, a lot of candidates, you know, when they first meet someone, they come across as very strong. But even though they come across as strong, because they feel weak inside, they're willing to go with the fact that, well, they must be weak. So the first lesson is be careful of making these comparisons that mean nothing. Whenever you see someone, you only can see the image they project on them of themselves. It's not what they really feel. So be wary of saying, you know what, I feel like a loser, but this person looks like a winner. What they look like and what they feel like are two different things. That's my first piece of advice. The second one is find a mentor, preferably female or a male, who is going to tell you about the mistakes they make. A lot of mentors don't tell you about the mistakes they make. They just tell you about all the good things. Those are terrible mentors. You should shoot them. The best mentors are going to tell you, you know what? When I started here, I made this stupid mistake. You need to feel good about not being perfect. No one's perfect. This is obsession at being perfect. And a lot of immature consultants propagate this image that you have to be perfect. Trust me, you know, when I was a partner, people make mistakes all the time. They make stupid mistakes and they make dumb mistakes with numbers, but they make mistakes.
The point is consultants never talk about it because it hurts their image. You want a mentor who's going to make you feel good about making mistakes. Because if you don't feel good about making mistakes, you're never going to reach. And if you never reach, you're never going to fulfill your potential. So you've got to find a mentor who's going to tell you, you know what, Jane, whatever your name is. You know, when I was a associate, I remember once going to this project and I forgot to proof check my slides. You know, we're sitting on the plane and the partner had to print it on his portable printer and we were busy correcting it. You know, it was bad, but we had a good laugh about it later and I really learned my lesson. The point is, all people who have become successful have made mistakes, right? So always remember that. The first, I'm going to re repeat the first piece of advice. Don't compare your reality to someone else's projected image. It's an unfair comparison. You'll always end up looking bad. The second one is get a mentor who's going to tell you about mistakes you made because you are going to make mistakes. And if you go through life feeling horrible about making mistakes, you're never going to be successful. You know, when my initial mentor wasn't that good, I had to change my mentors and picked a very young partner. And he was, he was okay when I made mistakes. He gave me a hard time about it, but he always laughed and made a joke about it afterwards. And, and I found that helped me realize I wasn't a total loser and it helped my confidence. This third piece of advice is very important. As a female, my advice to you is never go to junior consultants, never go to associates, never go to consultants, never go to business analysts. And, and there's a reason for that, right? And let me explain the reason. Junior people... Guys who are young, breaking into management consulting, are obsessed with prestige and image. Forget about whatever they tell you. Forget about how they look. They're obsessed with prestige and image. They want people to know that they have broken into McKinsey, the BCG, or whatever. And they want people to know how difficult it is to get in because it makes them feel good. right? If you go to someone like that, I can assure you they're going to make it look like they are perfect. That is why they got in. And it's very hard to get in and they're going to make your life hard to get in because the more elite the organization looks, the better they look because they got in. Senior people, partners, engagement managers, associate principals, principals, managing directors, they are different. They know consulting is not the end of the world. They know that, you know what, they've matured. They understand that there's more to life than this exclusivity image. They understand that, you know what, I've made it in the world. My job is not to make your life hell. They will give you better feedback. So what I always recommend female candidates do is to contact more senior people because they will, I think, be more upfront and more honest about the feedback they're going to give you. While junior people are going to make your life hell. Junior people, by and large, are going to try to make what they accomplished to be this fantastic accomplishment that very few people can accomplish. It's only later on when they mellow out and they get promoted and they have other accomplishments to crow about, they realize that getting into the firm is not the primary accomplishment and they're more willing to help you. So always keep this in the back of your head. Now hopefully you find this feedback useful. I thought I'd put out this podcast you know, based on what we're seeing. I do like the fact that a lot of females are coming to us and asking us for guidance. Obviously, we can't help all of them. We just don't have the capacity to do it. And I make that very clear up front when we deal with candidates. You know, we only take 10%. So 90% of people we engage, we can give you feedback, but we're not going to work with you. We are willing to advise you to work with other people, but we cannot condone or you know, recommend certain services. But um, hopefully you found this useful. And my main piece of advice is that you know, I know what it's like when you're young. I don't know what it's like to be a female. But having worked with so many females, I know our difficulties. I know our difficulties. Even for those who went to Harvard. I mean, even the people who go to Wharton, even the ones who go to Harvard, 
they are worried about their profile. I mean, we've got some candidates who are just exceptional on paper, but they lack so much confidence, it's debilitating. So remember these things when you are applying. And if, of course, you know, a podcast is never going to answer all your questions. And the context may be missing for some of the things I pointed out. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. I'll be very happy to, to guide you through my thinking. Take care. Bye-bye.